And I want to share with you some, a message from Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to get to read it straight away because at the nine o'clock I kind of read it by the end of my closing part of the message because I got so involved in my introduction. So let me get to the text straight away. Exodus chapter 33. While you're turning to let me say to you, don't ever come to Kensington Temple without expecting God to do something. Your expectation is what releases the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Come prepared. Come as you are. Come with all your needs. Say, God, I feel a mess, but it doesn't matter. God knows how to sort things out. But come hungry for God. When you're hungry for God, He can do something. Exodus 33, beginning to read at verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you do not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. He said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and, and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you've spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Please show me your glory. We've been singing that song. And... Uh, Show me your glory. I just wonder today, I'm wondering out loud, wondering to myself, but I'm wondering out loud, letting you overhear. I wonder how much we really understand what we're talking about, what we're really asking for when we say, show me your glory. Because this isn't day one in the life of Moses. I haven't counted the days, but it's well, well into his life. He's over 80 years of age. So I'm going to claim that as a text for my life. Life begins at 80. So I have 140 years still to wait. And Moses, God's hand was on him from the very beginning. Isn't that wonderful? He ought not to have survived. Because when he was born, there was a lot of oppression going on. The children of Israel were living in Egypt under the dominion of a new pharaoh, a pharaoh that did not know Joseph. There was no favor at all. And in fact, there were, the children of Israel were seemed to be a threat. Just like KT staff, they were multiplying all over the place. I don't know how many more babies are going to pop out before Christmas, but it's, it's an all-time record this, this year. We've been praying for multiplication, so I guess we should expect that. But they were multiplying and there were threats and so they began to oppress them. How many people know that when we become strong and numerous and influential and effective, we become a threat to the enemy? 
And so the enemy tries to do something, and Pharaoh oppresses them, and all the children, the male children, were to be killed if they were born to the Hebrew slaves. But Moses' mother wouldn't let it happen. To cut a long story short, Moses was rescued and actually adopted into the family of Pharaoh and was grown, grew up to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. For those first 40 years, he knew the best of everything. The best of everything. Everything that you and I would dream about, you know, he got. He had it. He had position. He had, a, he had status. He had education. He was, he was highly honored in the nation. He had wealth. Wealth that we couldn't even sit around and dream about. But he was dissatisfied. He learned of his origin and he said, I've got to do something about my people. And there are many of you in that place right now. God is stirring up your heart. And you can't just look out on the news. Just because some, I don't know, excuse me if I get it wrong, but some crazy guy makes a bad production movie, people get killed all over the world. You know, we live in a crazy world. Crazy world. Very, very crazy world. And we're... And, and we're our own fellow brothers and sisters have to go right up to the highest court in Europe to try and make a claim because our own leaders in this nation don't bother about protecting the rights of Christians in this country. It just goes on and on and on. We live in a crazy world. We live in a very crazy world. And uh, some sit back and say, let the world be crazy as long as I can sit and enjoy, you know, relative peace in my own life and just kind of enjoy my life with God in a kind of private kind of way, I won't bother. Others are saying, no, this is not good enough. We are meant to make a difference. We are meant to be the church of Jesus Christ. And God has promised that he would get glory to his name through the church of Jesus Christ. And so some are saying, we're not going to sit back on this. That's why we have what we call the cell vision in this church. And it's about, you know, us joining together, not just on Sundays, but meeting together regularly in small groups, taking opportunity to care for one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to teach and train and build one another up, and to go out and evangelize and grow. So the responsibility of the growth of the church does not rest with the pastoral leadership, but with the people of God who are out there under the commandment of God to make disciples of all nations, to be fruitful and multiply. And this is the kind of church we are. Praise God. If you're not yet part of a cell group, join up today. Because this is one of the only ways that we're going to see the situation in our city, in our nation reversed. If Christians rise up, step up to the plate and say, we're going to make a difference. Well, that's what Moses did. But the problem was, he didn't wait on God. I love believers who are active. But mere activity doesn't necessarily achieve anything. It has to be God-appointed activity, God-anointed activity. And I just kind of know it's not a very, uh, it's a significant word for some people. Let me just pause and give it. There are people who are at that point right now. You've been stirred by the Lord in your heart about doing something very significant for God. Let me just give you this word from the Holy Spirit. Don't rush into it. Wait on God. Speak to your leaders. Wait on God. Because you could spend the next 40 years of your life, like Moses did, trying hard and for it not working out. But when God is in it, it's going to work. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, its watchmen stand guard in vain. Wait on God. 
Don't rush into something. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. And I didn't mean to make this plug for Bible training in this church, but we do have, I believe, training programs that I've seen no, in no other church. I know I'm biased. I'm not trying to say we're better than anybody else. But I tell you, there's, I've not seen in any other church the level of training that we offer here in Kensington Temple. Don't let one day go by without you engaging in how we want to train you and equip you and release you and use you for, so you can be used by, by God. And so it all went wrong. Cut a long story short, he ran away from his vision and call and hid at the other side of the desert for 40 years, but God hadn't finished with him. Whatever you've been through, however you, wherever you are now, whatever you might have tried to do or thought hasn't worked out or tried and failed and all that, let me tell you, God has not finished with you. It's never too late with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God is saying to us, if we yield our lives afresh, He's going to show us things that we have never even dreamed possible. God is not through with you and you ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. And God revealed himself to him and showed him who he was and showed him the call of God upon his life. And then Moses, for the next little while, went and performed some of the most astonishing miracles that have never been repeated, to my knowledge, from that day in world history up until this present day. All the plagues that hit Egypt... Moses discovered that his, God's word in Moses' mouth was as powerful as God's word in God's mouth. All Moses had to do was hear the word of the Lord and proclaim it. And the heavens were closed up. Rivers turned to blood. Locusts came. All kinds of plagues which God was, was revealing his power and his glory to not just to Moses and to the children of Israel and the nation of Egypt, but all the nations of the world. God was saying, get it straight. Get it right. I am God and there is none like me. And I want to say over this congregation and to whoever is listening to me on the internet under the sound of my voice now, whoever you are, wherever you are, know this. There is only one God and his name is Jesus Christ. He is God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And God by his Spirit is calling us back to the one true God of the Bible. No idolatry, no false substitutes, only Jesus, only Jesus. So you would think at this particular point, Moses would be kind of writing books about it. You know, saying, do you know what? It's time for me to write my memoirs. We got out of that dreadful place. God has rescued us. God has delivered us. Now let me tell the story. Let me, let me publish my memoirs. God said, you haven't learned anything yet. There's so much more to learn, so much more to do. And Moses was hungry for something deeper. Are you hungry for something deeper today? That sounded like a polite Sunday school response to Sunday school teacher. Are you, <laughs> are you really hungry for something more of God today? Okay. Well, the key to this is in Psalm 103, verse 7. And I think that's a kind of background to what is happening that we've just read about in Exodus chapter 33. He, that is the Lord, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Do you notice the distinction there? 
to all the nation and to everybody who could observe, anybody could just open their eyes and see, they saw the glory of God. Is that not right? I mean, they, I mean, half of them were terrified. I'd be terrified, wouldn't you? And all those things are breaking out all over the place. And Moses stands up there and says something and it happens. And God is showing his awesome, fearful wonders, his judgments, his deliverance, powerful acts. And everybody saw that. But the Bible here says Moses saw more than the acts. Moses began to see God's ways. Now, let me just say, and if I'm being critical, it's, we're being self-critical, okay? I believe that the charismatic movement needs to learn this lesson. We need to take our eyes off just the acts of God and start to look at His ways. Because you see, today, all over the world, charismatic churches, you know, can be packed to the rafters when you're talking about healings and deliverance and finance and prosperity and faith. And people love it because it's all about what I can get from God. That's not wrong, understand me. But we need more than that. So I'm not negating, I'm just saying we need a deeper work. We need a deeper work in our lives. It's not just what we can get out of God. It's not just what God will do for us. It's who He wants to be to us. And only that will last. Because let me tell you, I don't want to burst your bubble. Well, I do want to burst your bubble, but you still love me afterwards. You are going to live on this planet until the day you die or Jesus comes first. And there will still be some things that you want and you haven't got. Hello? All right? So, so I'm not speaking unbelief. But God is not committed to answering your every wish as if he was the genie that you rub on the bottle and it comes out and says, Oh, Master, your wish is my command. And sometimes to hear some people talk and the shock that comes into their life when Things don't work out as quickly as they want, or things don't work out at all. And they say, well, I think I'll go and, go and find me another God. Amen? And, and we need to reverse it. It's not about God popping out of a bottle and saying, your wish is my command. It's exact opposite. We have to wake up every morning and say, God, whatever you want me to do today, I want to follow. Show me your way. And along the way, give me a few blessings as well. Amen. <laughs> and you know, God is, is just like that loving heavenly father that the Bible speaks about. And uh, we know even in kind of earthly relationships, you know, that a good father will not always give everything, certainly not at once, to his kids. That will spoil them. Is that not right? So just at that little level, we can begin to understand that sometimes when God appears to say no, or appears to delay, or appears not just to do exactly what we want, and we have to go through some stuff. How many people here, it's a true question, and I want a true honest answer. Since the day you were born again today, you've never had to go through any stuff at all. Somebody, I thought they were raising the habit, they were scratching their head. Good relief. Come on, people of God. 
Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now don't go run away saying, the pastor of Kensington Temple says God's going to kill you. No, I never said that. I'm quoting Job. Job was saying, whatever I go through, I'm not going to doubt my God. Because, you know, I don't even think that Job believed that God was in the killing business. But he was saying, if God doesn't answer this prayer of mine, even if I perish, I'm still going to trust Him. Amen. And he came to the highest Old Testament expression of faith, way, way even back in the old times when they hardly even understood this stuff. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. He saw the resurrection of Jesus. Even before the prophets had got a hold of this topic and began to expand on, on God's promises and show that the Messiah would come, who would suffer, who would die, who would be crucified and buried, but would be raised again from the dead. And by that death and resurrection, He would become the Redeemer of the world. Even before that could even be thought about, Job had a flash of revelation. I know that whatever happens to me, something is going to work out. A Redeemer is going to come. And my Redeemer lives and He is going to take care of me. And that is the promise of eternal life for us as believers. Praise God. So God wants us to deepen our experience. And here we have quite a little story that gets up to this particular prayer because I broke right into the middle of the text. And that's a bad thing to do because you've got to get the text in its context. Let me give you a little bit of the build-up. What happened was, of course, that was the great deliverance from Egypt. And, and they all went out and God opened the Red Sea and it was all fantastic. And they, they went out. There was none feeble among their tribes. God had a miraculous healing service where every single person in the whole nation got healed. Wow, wouldn't you like to see that today in our nation? Amen? Well, it's possible because God's a good God. Amen. So then they came to the wilderness to worship God at the mountain. And uh, the next step was to go forward to take possession of the promised land. But God had to start to get some stuff sorted out and to build a covenant to begin to prepare his people for the coming of Jesus, the giving of the law. And so Moses went up the mountain to receive all this. And he was away a long time. And they got impatient. They're saying, that fellow Moses, where he's been. Isn't it amazing how that takes just a very little nudge before people start getting critical of God's anointed leaders? Amen. I mean, why would they immediately question him? Because they did straight away. Things haven't changed, have they? Let me tell you something in parenthesis. This is how God works. God looks down and sees a need. And he takes note of that need. And then he says, I'm going to meet that need. And the very next thing you see, time and time in the Bible, God speaks to somebody about it. That's what happened in Egypt. God said, I've heard the cry of my people. I've heard their groaning. And I have remembered my covenant. I've come down to rescue them. Moses, go and set my people free. And God's methods have not changed. Old Testament and New Testament, they've not changed. God sees a need and begins to work out a way of answering that need. And His way is always the same. He raises someone up. And I believe that someone could be you. If you say, God, here am I, send me. 
I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord. Whatever you've got for me to do, whatever need you see, you want me to fulfill, God, I'm ready. Well, I'm willing. Don't say you're ready. <laughs> say you're willing. <laughs> because uh, God may not think you're ready. And I know the times when I've been so willing and thought I was ready, and years later, I found I was more ready but not quite so willing when I had to know what God put me through to make me ready. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Close the brackets. I'm out of parenthesis now. So they began to criticize Moses, and it turned into a kind of rebellion. And here was the rebellion. Well, we've we got to do something. We can't hang around. We don't know what's happened to Moses. Let's begin to do things our own way. So they said, let's begin with a party. We'll call it a Holy Ghost party. And uh, we're going to worship God. And, uh, so, but we, we don't know where he is. So everybody, give me your earrings. Give me your jewelry. Give me your gold Rolex watches. Give me everything. Don't forget they came out of Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. Amen. Don't forget that. And, and they put it all together and melted it down. And uh, they made a golden calf. Now they're worshipping this golden calf and saying, Behold the God that brought you out of Egypt. I mean, the Red Sea had hardly just closed. And they were now worshipping false God. Wow. Aren't they dreadful people? You're very careful, aren't you? You know me better than to say yes, they were, because that's the story of your heart and my heart. How easy we get drawn away from God. And uh, anyway, Moses comes down the mountain, sees all this, and God is angry. Let me deal with this notion of God's anger. People don't like that word. They say, God's a God of love. How can he ever be angry? Sometimes our love for somebody will stir very strong emotions of anger for the right reason. Now, when you and I get angry... We can get angry for the wrong reasons. Has anybody experienced that on the giving or receiving end? Everybody, I guess. But God's anger is not because he's just lost his cool or because he's bad-tempered. God's anger is a reaction, a righteous reaction against sin. And God began to express his anger. And he said to Moses, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to wipe them all out. And I'm going to start again with you. Now, folk, don't just jump to conclusions there. You've got to read on. Because God was expressing his righteous reaction. But he was also calling forth an intercessor. Let me say this about our nation. We are under the wrath of and judgment of God. Don't need a prophet to say that. Romans 1 says, because they did not retain the knowledge of God and, and they suppressed the truth of God by their unrighteousness, God handed them over. And that's what we're seeing in our nation. God is handing our nation over to eat of the fruit of its ways. That's God isn't bringing that kind of uh, attitude to people. It's, it's God isn't in that, but that's what happens. When you walk away from God and you resist God then, and you're far from Him, you suffer the consequences. You can't blame God. Get back to God. There's a backslider here today. Come back to God. Come on. Come back to God. Stop blaming God for what you're going through. Get back to God and you will find what blessing really is. Amen and amen and amen. Okay. 
actually, there are probably more than one backslider anyway, never mind. God alone knows, and he will cause the backslider to slide back to Jesus today. So, here's God's anger. Now, I want to say to you that um, I have a long way to go before I'm like Moses. Just a confession here. They say confession's good for the soul. And uh, you, after this little testimony, you want to pray for me like never before. Because if I'd been in Moses' shoes or his sandals, okay? If I'd been in Moses' sandals, I wouldn't have waited for God to talk to me. I'd have talked to God. I'd have said, God, have you looked at this people? Look at this rubbish lot. Get rid of them all and start again with me. <laughs> but that's not intercession, is it? Moses did the opposite. He said, no, God, don't do that. Don't do that. If you're going to have to get rid of anybody, get rid of me. Block me out. Kill me, Lord. Wipe me out. But save them because this is your people. And if you don't save them, the whole world's going to say, God, God couldn't look after his people. And he began to use some very persuasive argument to turn God's anger away. And how wonderful that we have. I'm a lesser than Moses but there is a greater than Moses, and his name is Jesus. And he is the great intercessor. He is the great intercessor. <laughs> Jesus, the intercessor, didn't just say, if you have to, get rid of me. He made himself an offering for sin. He actually did what Moses said he was willing to do. Jesus actually did it. He died in our place. And has offered to God the most persuasive argument ever that will turn away God's wrath from us forever on account of our sin. The sin substitute, the sacrifice of Jesus who shed his blood on a cross. And that blood now is the best and the most effective persuasive argument. No more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How wonderful how the Old Testament is so you know, fills out in the new and becomes so, so fulfilled. And God anyway said, okay, Moses, all right, I'm not going to do that, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my angel ahead of you, and he's going to fulfill all the promises. Don't forget, they were on the way from Egypt to the promised land, and God said, I will be faithful to my word. I'll do everything that I promised, and I'll even send my angel who will go ahead and prepare the way. But... I will not go with you. Moses. Now, again, I find it very hard to think I would do what Moses did. I don't know about you. If God came to me and said, Colin, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. Wherever you go to minister, know that my angel has gone before. And when my angel has gone before, when you step up on that platform... Every single promise will be fulfilled. Every single promise. All the promises that you've got in your promise book. By his stripes I am healed. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Every single promise. So that when you minister the word of God, I will immediately act to fulfill it. That would be the best charismatic leader's ministry in all history apart from Jesus himself. And this is what he's offering Moses. But I'm not going to be with you. My angel will go ahead, but I'm not going to be with you. And Moses, by this time, knew enough to say, no deal. If you don't go with us, 
we're not going. We're not going. Because the only difference between us and everybody else is you. Is you. Your presence. And it's the presence of God that makes all the difference. Why is the presence of God so important? And we see how it works out, don't we? Um, could somebody just put that clock to the right time? I'm sure it's only 11 o'clock. I'm sure it's only 11 o'clock. Why is the presence of God so important? Because it's, it speaks of God himself. It speaks of God himself. And Moses said, you know me by name. We've got a relationship going here. And I want to continue that relationship. I want to know you. I'm not, thank you for your acts, but I want to know your ways. I want to know your heart. In fact, I want you to show me your glory. The glory of God, what is that? It's the outshining of all that God is. It's the weight, the worth of who God is made known, made visible, and experienced. Amen? And so he said, God, a deeper work. It's not just your acts. It's not just the healings. It's not just the prosperity. And they came out healed. The Bible says there was none feeble in all their tribes. There was a miracle healing service where the whole nation got healed. None feeble. Doesn't mean just to say no one's sick. But even the old people were strong. We could do with a bit of that. Amen. And they came out with the wealth of Egypt. They plundered the Egyptians. They found favor. One preacher called it back pay for all those years of slavery. They came out with the biggest bonus in history and they weren't even bankers. So they were healthy. They were wealthy. But they weren't yet happy. Oh, how does that compute in our charismatic brains? I know charismatics who are so wishing to be wealthy that they ask God for the numbers of the lottery. <laughs> so it's not gambling. It's revelation. <laughs> but it ain't worked yet. Believe me. You can be healthy and wealthy but unhappy. Because if your health and wealth has replaced Christ, you're destined to be dissatisfied. So these pictures from drawn very roughly and loosely from the life and experience of Moses are very relevant to us. In fact, they are right up to date prophetically for us the ink isn't even dry the email hasn't even stopped downloading it's so fresh God wants to draw you draw your heart closer to him than ever before
And he's going to show you that he can fill you and satisfy you. That whether you're healed or not healed, whether you're wealthy or not wealthy, you will still stay. Blessed be the name of my God. Jesus is in my life. And I am saved and satisfied because I have learned how to commune with the living God. Amen. Are you happy? Are you happy? I think this is a wonderful time in our history. So let's keep open to the Lord. Come out on the prayer, in the prayer meeting. Get to your cell meeting. Start talking about this. Start seeking God as never before. Next Sunday, don't forget Claudio Frazen. Now, we're not putting our faith and trust in men, but this was planned a long time ago. But I believe it is a divine appointment. I hope he, can't, hope he doesn't miss his plane, but I believe it's a divine appointment. And next Sunday, come ready to receive what God has for you. Let me just pray for you before Gabriel comes back and uh, closes the service. Father, I thank you for every single person here in Kensington Temple. Thank you for the history that is ours. Thank you for the current state of spiritual attainment. Thank you for all the things you've done down through the years. God, you're such a wonderful God. You've been so good to us. We can truly say that you know us by name. We have found favor in your sight. We thank you for that. But we say to you, Lord, we want more. We want to experience more. God, would you deepen our life experience of you? Will you shift us away from some of the superficial things, the things that have become substitutes for you? As sometimes as good as they are in themselves, nothing can ever replace who you are and what you can be to us. So God, release your spirit. Send these people out with a Holy Ghost anointing. Send them out, Father, with the Spirit of God, stirring them up on the inside. And we pray, God, that whichever course or direction this divine move of God will take, we say we will surrender to it because, God, we want more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.